every week and every month, but especially on this Pentecost Day, we are grateful for the missionaries we are able to partner with as they bring the gospel around the world in all kinds of different ways, all kinds of different fields. And we, uh, again, invite you to come back tonight to hear from the Go family in person as Pastor Go will be preaching for us on our evening outside service. Let's pray now as we prepare to hear the word of the Lord. Lord, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you open our hearts and minds so that as the scriptures are read, so that as your word is proclaimed, that we may hear with joy, receive with gratitude, and live out with your power what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. This morning, we're concluding a sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 1 to 50. This is a sermon series that's focused on a hinge point in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus more and more invites his disciples into his ministry. And I chose this text or these texts for this month or so to reflect on how, how Jesus empowers and equips his people to follow him in ministry and also to reflect on how God works in us as well as through us. So let's read now. We'll read Luke 9, 37 to 50. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. O oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. This is the word of the Lord. So Bill Bryson, he's a well-known travel writer, and a number of years ago, he and a friend, Steve Katz, hiked the Appalachian Trail together, and, and Bill and Steve's goal was to hike all 2,000-some miles of the trail, so they went to the outfitting store, and they bought all the things, the backpacks, the waterproof covers for the backpacks, the tents, the waterproof covers for the tents, the special shoes, the, the special food, the, the water bottles, the jackets, the, the raincoats, 90 pounds of stuff they end up with for each of them. 
And then they try to fit it all in their backpacks and realize they can't, and they cram everything in they can. They realize they can't carry that much. They, they trim it back and trim it back. And they end up with 45, 50 pounds of backpacks ready to go take on the trail. And they fly down. They, they get driven to the beginning of the trail. And they start out on the first day. And off they go. They're going to hike the Appalachian Trail. And Bill is in better shape than Steve, so he quickly gets ahead of Steve and keeps going. And, and he gets to the point they agreed to stop for the night, puts his pack down, relaxes a little bit, relaxes a lot, falls asleep for a while, wakes up and realizes Steve isn't there yet. So he leaves his pack and he starts walking back and calling, hey, Steve, Steve, where are you? And then after a while, he notices Steve coming along the path. And they started out a little bit early in the spring, so they, they had gloves and coats on. And, and Steve is coming along with one glove, and his hand is kind of shaking, and he's a little twitchy, kind of staggering along with his backpack kind of dangling from his back. And Bill rushes up to him and sees his glove a ways back and goes and gets it and puts it on and says, Steve, what happened? And Steve can hardly talk. He's just, trees, lots of trees, yeah, too much, too much. He goes, all right, we can do this. He takes Steve's pack and realizes that it's not a 45-pound pack anymore. Steve, what'd you do with your stuff? I, I threw it. Too heavy. I threw it. Steve, where's your jacket? I threw it. Threw it. Too heavy. Steve, fine. They get to the campsite. They start setting up. And Bill goes through Steve's backpack and starts asking this set of questions. Where's, where's the jerky? I threw it. Where's the cheese? I threw it! Where's the coffee filters? I threw it! It was great! They fluttered all over the place. I threw it all! Oh, Steve. Oh, Steve. So they crawl into their tents, and they wake up the next morning, and Bill wakes up to Steve trying to make coffee using their toilet paper as a filter, because, well, he'd thrown away the coffee filters and all the breakfast food and most of the other food. So all they had was coffee filtered with toilet paper and noodles for their first leg of the journey. They were ready. No, they weren't. Well, in Luke 9, we see the disciples being ready. They're good to go. At the beginning of this chapter, the first uh, sermon that I preached on this, the disciples are sent out by Jesus, and they proclaim, and they heal, and, and they're spiritual giants, and they're ready to go. And then we get to the end of the chapter. We get to what we're going to read today, and several of the disciples have just been up on this mountain seeing Jesus transfigured, and they've seen Moses and Elijah, and they've seen the glory, and they're good to go, and then, 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 and then we get to today's reading, and what about healing? I can't do it. What about understanding Jesus? Nope. What about some humility? Nope. What about focus on the mission? Nope. The disciples fail over and over and over again. They are stumbling along, disoriented, missing all kinds of things that they've been given to follow Jesus. And you know, we could, uh, honestly, we could make fun of the disciples. We could laugh at them. We could say what little faith they have, what a joke they are, what a great story, well, what a great set of stories about failure. But now I want to ask you this. If we wrote down your faith journey over the last couple of years, we had the disciples here and we gave it to them for them to read, what would they think of our faith journey? Would they be encouraged by it or would they be tempted to, to laugh a little bit and say, oh, wow. Oh, wow. These people. 
Most of us in our Christian faith have mountaintop moments, and then we come down and we fall flat on our faces. And so part of the, the message of this part of Luke is to, is to show us, well, yes, here's some illustrations of how God's people, how the disciples, probably how we fall flat on our faces. And then how does Jesus respond, and where do we go from there? How do we follow Jesus when we aren't actually all that ready to follow Jesus? So we read four scenes for today. We'll work through each of them just briefly. We'll talk a little bit about how the disciples fall short, about how Jesus responds, and then about how we go from there. And honestly, we're going to talk about four scenes. There's a chance one or two or three of them don't speak to you, but I would think for all of us, at least one will say something about where we are right now spiritually. So let's start with the beginning here. And the first scene is that the disciples are unable to heal. Jesus and three of the apostles come down from the mountain, and there's this crowd, and there's all this noise, and and there's this guy who yells for Jesus to come and and heal his son. And this boy is is demon-possessed. It seems like he has something like epilepsy, but with some additional self-harm elements. It's, It's really a frightening thing to live with. It's a situation begging for healing. So this man brings his son to the disciples because he's heard they've been out proclaiming this new kingdom and and healing people and doing all kinds of good things. And and there's this whole crowd. And so he finally gets to the front of the line and he asks the disciples to heal his son. And they can't do it. They can't do it. Here is this whole crowd watching. Here is this thing that presumably they have done and done and done. And now they can't do it. They fail. And so Jesus comes back, and the man goes up to Jesus and says, your disciples couldn't do it, but can you please heal my son? And and Jesus says some hard words. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I put up with you? You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I put up with you? And there's a, a lively debate about who Jesus is talking to and what he's thinking there. And the text doesn't tell us exactly, but I think our best guess is that Jesus is looking at his disciples when he says those words. These are people who should get it. They've been equipped. Jesus himself has given, him the, given them the power to do this, and they've been doing it. But now they can't. And the best guess is probably that the disciples have gotten a bit overconfident. And maybe they've come to trust in their technique, and they think they're pretty good stuff, and and they're stepping away from the power of the Lord and depending on themselves, and and then when they're cast back on their own resources, they are exposed in all of their inability. But when the disciples fail, when they don't have the power to heal, Jesus shows that he has the power to heal. He gives this probably a rebuke to the disciples, and, and then he goes on and he says, well, he He looks at that evil spirit and he squashes it like you would squash an annoying ant. There is a power encounter and the spirit loses. Jesus throws the spirit out. He heals the boy. He gives the boy back to his father. And that's Jesus. Jesus has the power to heal. And he has the compassion to heal. And he just takes care of it. And so what do we do with that? What's the point? And the point is that we need to trust God. We need to trust God to do what only He can do. You might read this text and think the point is work harder. 
Come on, disciples, get, to, get, get, a, get with the program. Do what you can do. And that isn't really the point, I don't think. I think the point is that we need to trust God to work. The point of this text is not to slap ourselves in the forehead and say, oh, you dummy, do it better. The point is to recognize our own ability and then to look to Jesus. You see, as long as we're functioning in our own strength, if you really try to change the world, we are going to fail. The world's a mess, we're a mess, you're a mess. And if we're out there trying to do good apart from Jesus Christ, we might do some good for a while, but when it really comes down to it, we are going to fail. And Luke 9, 37 to 43 shows us the disciples falling flat on their faces. And I think the reminder there is, is that no, you don't have what it takes. No, you don't. And I don't either. But Jesus does. And so instead of our own schemes or our own techniques or our own self-reliance, we, we need to trust in God and trust that God, in ways that often we can't predict, in ways that we certainly can't control, we need to trust God to do what only He can do. I want to invite you to a bit of self-reflection, to, to reflect on your life and to think of where things are not going how they ought to be spiritually. To think of a place where maybe you're failing in your own spiritual life or where you're failing in your service to others. And, and I don't want you to beat yourself up about that, but I do want you to ask yourself, how are you relying on your own strength? How are you drawing on your own resources instead of looking to Jesus to do his work? So that's the first scene. And then we come to the second scene. And in the second scene, the disciples can't understand Jesus. We spent a fair amount of time on this when we looked at some earlier texts in Luke 9, so we won't dig too deep into this, but, but Jesus again, not for the first time, but again tells his disciples he's going to be delivered over into the hands of men. And the whole backstory there is, is Jesus is going to suffer. He's going to die. Instead of coming as this great, powerful, reigning king, he's going to be condemned. He's going to have to carry his cross. He will die in pursuit of his mission. And the disciples simply cannot understand this. This is not the first time they've heard this. Jesus has told them this, but they still simply can't understand it. It doesn't compute. This is a man who can squash an evil spirit like you squash a bug. This is a man who can do the impossible. And now this is a man who says he's going to suffer and be rejected. It just doesn't make any sense. And the text tells us that, that the meaning of this is hidden from the disciples, and it's not totally clear why or how it's hidden, but I think the best answer is that the disciples' own perception, their own plans, their own sense of how things will go means that they just can't see what Jesus has to tell them. They just can't hear it. And what's more, they're scared to ask him about it. They just don't even want to know because it's, it's too much to process. The plan makes no sense. And yet that is Jesus' plan, and that is the Lord's plan. And Jesus' plan focuses on the cross. In many respects, the cross is at the very center of history. Jesus, who came to suffer and who died to rise again so that we could rise again. But the disciples can't even see 
to the cross, let alone past the cross. And so Jesus has to tell them again and again and again, how long, he asks a little bit earlier, shall I put up with this generation? And the answer is a long time. And the disciples still aren't going to get it. They aren't going to get it until the resurrection. And even then, they're going to be kind of slow to, to really get what Jesus is all about. Their imagination, their vision, their plans, their, their everything makes it almost impossible for them to see God's work. They can't do it. And Jesus uses a funny phrase here as he talks to them in verse 44 especially. The, the translation is mostly translated as something like, listen carefully to this or, or pay careful attention to what I say. But what Jesus literally says is, you, and emphatically, you, put these words in your ears. Put these words in your ears. And I think that's what we need to hear too. Keep God's words in your ears. We don't have any power apart from Jesus, and, and even though we don't have power apart from Jesus, we certainly have plans apart from him. We might be walking along with Jesus, but we're almost always grabbing by the elbow and saying, hey, Jesus, what if we do this? I've got this great idea. What if we do it this way? And in some respects, that's a wonderful thing because that's part of our prayer life and part of walking with Jesus that we have this conversation back and forth that, that he truly listens to our prayers, but, but then he speaks to us and he speaks to us through his word. And you know, we wander off so easily. And you see this, well, you see this in the church around us. You see this, I would guess, in your own life. I certainly see it in mine that, that when we are not holding God's word close to our hearts, very quickly we begin to mistake our voice for God's voice. And very quickly our own opin opinions and preferences and conveniences and luxuries and leisures all become the things that we think God is all about. But just like the disciples, what we need is to keep putting God's word in our ears. Again and again we need to be reminded that Jesus came, well he came to conquer, yes, but he came to conquer through service and suffering. And if he is our Lord, then that is what our lives will look like too. We're at a, a change of seasons here. School is wrapped up or is about to wrap up for many of us. Summer is a time when, when often we scale back our activities a little bit or we scale up our activities in terms of getting away for vacation. But this is kind of a hinge moment where we often change our routines. And I want to invite you for your own good and for the good of others to develop a new routine of having God's word in your ears this summer. Maybe listen to the Bible on your morning commute or while you're working out. Maybe pick up another copy or two of the Bible, put it somewhere where you'll pick it up and just read every now and then. Maybe find a Bible reading plan or, or get some accountability with a group, but get God's words in your ears. Pay attention to what God has to say. I can 100% guarantee you that if you are not really focused on getting God's word in your ears, if you do not have the Bible in front of you, if you are not listening receptively, you will drift. You will drift in your understanding of the faith. You will drift in your practice of the faith. It will not be good for you spiritually, and it will not be good for your service to others. So I invite you this summer to really get God's word in your ears. 
And now we go on to the third scene in this montage of failure. And, and here we have this story. It just moves on a verse or so. And now the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. And now remember where we've just been. They have failed to heal a boy. Totally failed. Jesus has to step in and bail them out. And now Jesus has told them some things about his mission that they just don't understand. And right after that, as they're walking along, they're saying, hey, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Well, if I just had a little more time, I would have been able to cast out that demon. Well, I'm one of the ones that Jesus took up on the mountain, and you wouldn't believe what happened up there. Well, Jesus likes me best. Well, well, well. On and on they go, and they are all being fools. They are so focused on their supposed greatness, they can't even hear what Jesus has to say. And so Jesus offers them another lesson, and he welcomes, well, he welcomes a child. He welcomes the least. He has a little child come and stand in their midst, and he says, whoever welcomes this little child welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it's the least among you who is the greatest. And I want you to notice something here. In this text, Jesus doesn't tell his disciples, be like a little child. He tells them, welcome the little children. He says, welcome in the least. Jesus is telling his disciples to spend their time on those who seem like a waste of time. And not to be all focused on their own status and make sure everyone knows, oh, you know, I, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. No. That is not what the Lord calls his disciples to do. Because if they're focused on their lowly status, they're still focused on themselves. What Jesus is calling them to do is to focus on others. And the only way we can really do that is to focus on the greatness of Jesus. The disciples miss this, and, and we often miss it too, that as long as we're looking at ourselves, we, we can't really welcome in the least. What we really need is to keep our eyes on the greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Many of us struggle with a lot of insecurity. We, we weigh and we measure ourselves, and whenever we do that, we find ourselves wanting. There is no salvation on the comparison ladder. As high as you get, you never get high enough. But Jesus invites us to a different approach. Jesus invites us to recalibrate and, and again, just to look to him. And it's when we look to the Lord that we become truly able to see. When we look to the Lord and find our security in Him, then we are truly able to serve others. Our fourth and last point for today. One last scene of discipleship failure. It seems like the disciples kind of recognize at this point that things aren't going real well. They've kind of messed up and messed up. So now John tries to redeem them. And he, and he jumps in and he says, hey, at least we forbid somebody else from doing something. You know, master, there was somebody who was casting out demons in your name. Can you believe the nerve of this guy? He was going around in your name and doing good, but we stopped him. And let's review a minute here. The disciples have failed to cast out a demon. They have misunderstood Jesus. They have argued about who's the greatest. And now they are bragging that they are undercutting good work done in the name of Jesus. Wow. And Jesus tells them to cut it out. Just, just stop. And if you keep reading in Luke 9 later, the disciples keep doing this kind of just, just stop stuff. And Jesus says, we need to welcome all who are doing my work. 
The disciples think they're part of this exclusive club, the card-carrying disciples of Jesus, the only authorized ones to cast out demons, even if we can't do it. We're the only ones who are authorized. And that is not the Christian perspective. And what Jesus invites them to do is exactly the opposite. If somebody is working for me, support them, build them up. Now, Jesus is not embracing kind of a vague, oh, anybody who's doing good work, let them do it. A couple chapters later, he says basically the opposite, and he says, whoever, whoever is not with me is against me. And you kind of have to put those together, and I think the, the point here is Jesus is going to welcome all who do his work, but it has to be his work done in his ways to his glory. And if his disciples even are missing that, then they're in trouble. And the point for us and our landing point for today is that we need to concentrate on following Jesus. You know, there's lots of other causes that can distract us. Lots of things that can be really, really good things. Lots of traditions we can hold on to or new things we can go after that, that can be really good things, but they can also become distractions. And we might want to police other people and make sure that they're in line with everything that we want. And, and there's a time and a place for all of that, but if it's undercutting the work of the Lord, then we are totally missing it. Let's concentrate on following Jesus. Now, as we wrap up this sermon series, I think it's worth reflecting what it really looks like, what it might really look like in this life for us to follow Jesus. And let's go back to Bill and Steve on the Appalachian Trail for a moment. They set out with this great, this great plan that they're going to hike all 2,000-some miles of the trail, and, and about seven miles in, they're a total disaster. And it gets better from there, but but they recognize pretty quickly they can't do it. They just can't do it. They don't have the time. They don't have the stamina. They don't have the health. They just can't hike the whole trail. So they carry on. They carry on. They carry on for a whole hiking season. They go up mountains and down mountains. They see more trees than they can possibly count. They have all kinds of experiences. But at the end, they're a couple hundred miles from the end of the trail, and they've gotten on and off and on and off. They've maybe hiked a quarter of a third of the trail, and they sit down together and and they say, we just got to go home. We're done. We can't do it. We're done. But then as they ride home, they reflect on it. And they say, you know, we hiked the trail. We went up the mountains. We came down the mountains. We walked through the snow. We walked through the rain. We walked in the sun. We saw the beauty. We saw the glory. We met people. We helped people. We were helped. We hiked the trail. All of us are called to hike the trail of following Jesus. And none of us are going to do it perfectly. All of us are going to fall short. And, and if you look at the perfect Christian life and you set out for that, you will be disappointed. You won't get there. But nonetheless, we are all called to follow Jesus. And the good news is that Jesus walks along with us. And Jesus, when we're kind of discombobulated, when we fall flat on our faces, when, when we can't do it, when we don't understand him, when everything is wrong, Jesus still loves us and walks with us and works with us. And at the end, when we come to the end of our earthly journeys, as well as Curly, Bob Lanning, and as Tom Hookstra did just the last few days, the Lord welcomes us home. And he welcomes us home with joy and with comfort. And so let's follow Jesus. And let's, let's not focus on how well we do, but let's focus on how well he takes care of us and keep going step after step, day after day. Trust God, 
Keep God's words in your ears. Focus on the greatness of Jesus. Serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for all that you do for us. And Father, as we hear this montage of failure on the part of the disciples, we, we probably recognize ourselves at one point or another in there. And Lord, if, if we don't, then we ask that you open our eyes to see how we do fail you. And even more, for all of us, open our eyes to how you never fail us. Father, on this Pentecost, we pray that you use your spirit to help us keep our eyes on your word and to keep your word in our ears. We pray that you transform us, lead and guide us, help us always to follow you. Amen.